tell me how to say ladies and gentlemen in gender neutral terms. Hey yo. Hey yo. Hey yo. That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC talk radio is always exciting. Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone to HIAC Talk Radio. I'm the above average comedian. The one in, except for the one guy in Cowboys fans' heads <laughs> for all time. All time. Dan Law 83, all social media platforms. With me as always, Craig, where do people follow you? Uh, they can follow me if they so choose. I'm in my unmarked van full of candy, I promise you. Uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Never change. Never change, please. <laughs> uh, so, um, Lita and Becky Lynch. Yeah. Are WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. And I've gone through a bunch of emotions uh, watching this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, oh, that's awesome. But not at the why? Why get? Why did damage control? Ha- Wait a minute. <laughs> this is pretty cool, but what the fuck? I I don't. I don't know, man. That kind of bummed me out. I was happy. Um, and I don't mean this in a way of, oh god, she looks like crap. Why is this even happening? Um, something was off with Lita's movements, and I know there's been. Surgeries, there's spinal surgery. I don't know what other surgery she's had, so I'm not criticizing her in that way. But it wasn't the same, Lita. No, Tristatus, Tristratus looked like a million dollars. Uh, Becky Lynch, of course, looked great. The execution went off great, but again, at what? Why? <laughs> why did that happen? I, I can only assume, and this is all I can do at this time, because the title change didn't make sense to me either. I mean, it, it was a great feel-good moment uh, for the fans or for Lita, even for Trish uh, to be part of that. But I can only um, hope, not going to assume, that this is just a one-stop shop deal and that um, damage control will be... They've got to go into WrestleMania as the champions because I don't, I can't see you keeping the belt, keeping the belts on, on Lita and Becky. And also, um, they wanted with Lita, Becky, and Trish. And I, Trish, and Grand Rapids, Michigan isn't that far from Canada. So I mean, she didn't make a, she didn't bust a gun and fly it halfway across the country to make the appearance. Obviously, it was, it was local enough for her to show up, but. Those three aren't going to be making the rounds and um, appearing on Raw and SmackDown every week, and and neither do I think will Lita uh, be traveling um, across the country and appearing in as many um, shows as Damage Control has. 
since they've been champions. They are the uh, they are the the they're the bloodline of the of the female division, damage control. Um, and you you keep the belts on them. You get more vi. I I agree with getting them some some viable competition out there, and sure. taking the belts off them makes them look vulnerable. But you got to put them back on there because. Uh, as much as Elite is a feel-good story, as you saw in the match, and as anyone else who's been a fan of Lita, or even if you're just a fan of the current product, you know that Lita's best days are, are behind her, and that's no, you know, no knock on her. Um, but she's not even not only older and physically, but she hasn't done this in many, 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 many years. You know, so. Um, yeah, I'm I'm guessing with the one it was a one timer thing, they'll um do it if they're building towards mania, uh, where damage control gets the, the, the titles back and then and not have Lita and Becky wrestle at all uh until WrestleMania, I'm cool with that. But uh yeah, that was a that was a big surprise for me and I'm as great as it was to see Trish and Lita together again, it's always those are always been my favorites, always will be. But yeah. You know, it, it, but it, it's another uh, indication, Dan, that fans are going to pop more for the people they knew 20 years ago than your current product. If you had to keep on bringing back legends, that means your current guy, your current roster isn't getting over. And that's not a good sign. No, the, the constant. I expected more from Triple H. Yeah. Um, I was unapologetically very excited when Vince went away. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 on record here. When Vince went away, when, when Vince went away, when Vince went away, VVV, yes, VVV, and Trips was going to take over, and I expected like I would have wasted no time doing well of course i i'll get to that point in a second mm-hmm. i don't feel like triple h has done enough i really don't it's not that different it was for a little bit mm-hmm. and and don't get me wrong there are things that they are hinting towards that look great and i can't wait mm-hmm. a poet don't you know it but man i i feel as if he's got his hands tied i, I don't i don't I don't know how to explain it. I don't know. It's yeah, weird. Yeah, you you explained it well. Um he uh he does have his 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 hands full. Um but with the current roster, a lot of what we see, you know, kind of writes itself. You know, you you look at the roster up or down, you you know who your stars are and you know who should be pushed, you know who shouldn't be, you know, or even just the people that should be on TV every week. You know, uh, whether they're they have they have a match or not, um, Austin Theory should be on TV every week. Um, again, if if you're gonna give them squash matches or just have them just do a little segment, they they quit jobbing him and making him look like a complete tool. Um, lately, and that's great, but this that guy's the future of your company, so he needs to be on TV every week. Um. And the people that don't need to be on TV every week for whatever reason, because we've seen it. Um, I've seen Usos and um, God, um, I want to say. Profits. Thank you. 
so many times. Not uh, all black people look the same. Okay, Craig. I, I know, but it's like, but I've seen it so often. It's like I because I put it out of my head because I've already seen them do yeah. that. And did you? I will say. Did you hear the crowd laughing? Did you hear the crowd when Street Profits came out? No, I didn't hear shit last night. Exactly. I I tweeted that on the HIAC account. I don't I don't know if they're drinking the water that's being shipped in from fucking Iowa, uh, Ohio. Mm-hmm. But it, it didn't occur to me until the Piper Nevin uh Piper Nevin uh Candice LeRae match where I was like at the end when they were picking it up and going towards going home. Uh, and I was like, what the fuck? Why is it so quiet? <laughs> it wasn't like they were having a stinker. It wasn't, it was a, it was a fine match. It was a great TV match. Uh, and it was just quiet. Yes. <sighs> the three profits, the top of the hour, first segment, came out to absolutely no reaction at all. Now, they're in Grand Rapids. He says something about water. They're not that far from Detroit, so, or or Flint, so the water could be definitely an issue. Yeah, right, right. But, right. But, um, this is supposed to be your 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 number two babyface team, or your one of your top babyface teams, and nobody cared. I know I didn't care, but I, I was way past caring about Street Profits uh, a while back. But Street Profits and Usos, again, it's been done to death. So where I, where I think Triple H has his hands tied is he doesn't have any babyface tag teams, just like he doesn't have any babyface tag team women, which is why Becky Lynch has to team up with someone from the Attitude Era to get the fans excited. Say old lady Lita. <laughs> but, you know, but why haven't you built up any, any babyface females or a babyface tag team? Who are damage control's opponents? If you want to get them a match for 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 WrestleMania, why are you building that up now? You know, um, the only thing I see on on the horizon for the Usos, and obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, you're doing it. They're doing it right, and they're building towards you know Owens and um, and Sammy against the Usos for the tag team championship and even sure. take the belts off the Usos, yeah, it'd be great. Sure. But what's next? That's where you, you you know, if you have a new babyface tag team with your babyface tag team champions, who are your challengers? That, again, where you've got to start building because I'm not taking uh, Otis and Gable uh, seriously and or, or the Brawling Brutes. Now, is the time where you need to look past what you have because obviously what you have isn't working. Street profits are, you know, right? If they can't even get uh, a rise out of a crowd in where I can see that carrying on, you need to start pushing Imperium. That is, that could be your next bloodline right there. The fact you that we're it. still talking about it and he hasn't considered it is, huh? Because How? what? Yeah, because what you're doing. I mean, it's the same formula that the, the bloodline and what it was crippled the Usos. What makes the bloodline great is, you know, Roman's champion, and you have the Usos. But whoever is the number one contender for Roman just 
constantly punks the Usos. I mean, I've seen everyone from Drew uh, to Brock, Drew, even Kevin Owens lay out the Usos, lay out your world tag team champions like there were nobodies. You can't do that with Imperium. I mean, it's been doing, it's been done with Imperium. Whoever wants to get through Gunther, go through Imperium like they're nothing. You make um, Kaiser and Vinci your top guys, your top tag team. Don't make them look like a bunch of stooges next to the main guy like you've done with the Usos. If Usos can get punked out by Kevin Owens, but they're supposed to be the world tag team champions, they should be beating everybody. If Owens and, and Sammy are going to be your, your future world tag team champions after WrestleMania, which should happen, Imperium's got to be your top heel team automatically. You didn't want to keep them on SmackDown or bring them to Raw, but make them your number one team on SmackDown. These are these are picture perfect prototype heels. They're foreign. You already boo them. Let the xenophobia, the xenophobia kick in. Yeah, keep, right. Yeah, be racist. It'll exactly. simply sound good. But you keep Gunther, and they're they're obviously they're not dropping the ball on Gunther. He should hold the the belt through WrestleMania. What they're doing with him, giving him main event t- uh, title matches on SmackDown or at the the nine o'clock hour. Perfect. They have the best entrance music. They have the best. Um, just everything about them is next level. Uh, but you got to keep it going. You, you you have to keep it going. Gunther's got to be Intercontinental Champion for at least the rest of the year. And you've even got a built-in um, feud with Cody since they were the last two in the in the Royal Rumble, number one and number thirty. So it it's right there. Um, it's a it's a layup if they do it correctly. Now, how he's going to do it for it? That's the, that's the men. How he's going to do it with the women? I have no idea. You got to create more baby face women. How do you have one of the best heel uh, female heel groups ever and not have a factory for them? I don't know. I, I just Bailey looks good. Mm-hmm. They all they all look good, yeah, and and yeah, Lita, and mm-hmm. again, the young kid, the younger man in me was like, "All right, cool," and then I was like, "Well, maybe they're just doing this so Damage Control can get like the beat up the legends, yeah, rub segment, and then uh, continuing on with Becky." You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping. Yeah, I hope. Ah, well, and the other thing I can't understand that Triple H has not done yet is bring in the editing of those live shows, the live directing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. You know, I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but if I had a bat, I would. <laughs> and Jesus, it looks so bad. How are we doing this in the age of 1080p and 8K, 4K cameras, and we're moving the cameras as much as possible so we miss as much as possible? How the fuck did we get here? But, and I, I, I don't get the editing either, Dan, because for a live crowd, it's got to be interminable. 
I mean, first of all, the entrances take forever. And then you, you bring in the two guys in the ring. Just for the, the Bobby Lashley uh Ezekiel match. Um Elias match, whatever the fuck his name is. Whatever his name but is this week. They have the long entrances for both of them. Or they have Bobby entrance. And then they recap what they did last week. And then Ezekiel. And then they have what they did with Ezekiel last week. And then the two are in the ring. And then they show um what led up to the match. And then they go to a commercial. And then they come back. And they're still in the ring, just walking back and forth. I'm I'm sitting on my couch watching this. And I'm I'm already bored. I'm gonna change the channel because they just introduced these two guys in five minutes. They've been in the ring. Literally five minutes. They've been in the ring doing nothing. I can imagine how bored, how frustrated I'd be if I did it live. Now, this crowd was already dead, but you bring in two guys that, you know, the fans used to care about a long th- once upon a time, and now they're just standing in the, in the ring for five minutes watching them or watching TV, which is what we're doing. So I don't know what they're doing there, but I'm watching commercials. But these two guys have been in the ring the whole time, and not even. And then when they come back, now then the bell rings. So they've been standing in the ring for five minutes, and then they ring the bell. And it's like for every, they do the same thing on SmackDown. They will bring somebody in the ring, and then they'll go to commercial. I've been i i've 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 had that experience when there's a hot crowd there. Yeah, and when there's a hot crowd that it actually wants to be there, not as noticeable. Mm. But it was noticeable. That's like because you hear a pin drop in there. Yes, all nice. the ladies and all every. Let me rephrase that. Every man and woman in that company could have come out to the ring, stripped butt ass naked, <laughs> and you just would have. Yeah, you would have got a golf clap. Yeah, tits, cock, whatever. <laughs> Oh, I I don't blame the WWE for that. I, I, I wouldn't go to Grand Rapids for a while. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, um, well, that's all we're going to have for <laughs> modern wrestling today. <laughs> Unless you have something else. Uh, now you what our favorite shows are back now, Dan. Um, I don't know what your Sunday nights are looking like, but A and E and WWE have have come back with the WWE oh, that's I'm so far. I yeah, Legends show. Well, um, the first week. This is the second week. We're we're in week two. Week one was uh the NWO. Um, you know mm-hmm. all the other. Uh, A&E biographies on WWE. They're on actual wrestlers. This is the first one ever on an angle. You know, um, the history of the NWO. And uh, you start off with Eric Bischoff, who claims he created the NWO. Now He stole it from Japan. Yeah. Now, what I liked about this particular biography, Dan, and we've seen it before, you know, the NWO has talked about before on other shows, but Eric Bischoff said about because the first thing we saw, the first clips we saw were from Japan and he admitted that he you're going to get a, a lot of admissions here, so when you see the NWO 
A&E biography, which I recommend. You're going to see a lot of admissions for the first time. And the admit shit, that. it was on a WCW documentary once produced by WCW that they took the idea from New Japan. <laughs> like, I don't know why nobody else knows this, but go ahead, Craig. Sorry. <laughs> but they, they talked to Eric and he, he, he talked about it first and he admitted it. And but the people they had involved, um, Eric, Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, X Pac, Sting, all talked about the you know the rise of of the NWO and how it worked. A little revisionist history. They talked about you know they they mentioned Hall and Nash coming to WWF and they showed the curtain call, but Hall and uh he said. And Hall's like, yeah, and I show up on WCW. I was dressed in Madison Square Garden the night before. Now, they were in Madison Square Garden on a Sunday, but he appeared on Monday eight days later. It wasn't the next day. Yeah. There was time. You know, obviously, they still know who he was. Sure. Um, and him coming down and grabbing the mic, and that was the total shoot. He was just going to grab the mic and start talking. He when he got in the ring expecting to be attacked, they all left. And the the match they was having, I think it was it was Bo Beverly and uh, Steve Dahl, Steve and, Dahl and Mike Enos. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Bo Beverly. I told him. Um, I Colonel Robert Parker, and um, that's when he uh, when Hall made the uh, the talk and you know did his promo, and then the next week Nash comes out, and the whole idea was him for the the fans that think that they were sent from Vince to invade WCW and they didn't do anything to dispel that. And that was the idea to keep it like that. And then Hogan comes on and, uh, and when they showed a lot of the, the, the early NWO stuff, the, the outsiders and everything. And uh, <clears throat> they were talking about who's going to be the third guy. Who's going to be the third guy? And then Hogan comes on, and he says, "Well, he saw how how big this was getting because Hogan hadn't been on TV in a while. He called Eric Bischoff up up and said, Eric, so who's the third guy?' And so they approached me about turning heel, and I was worried about the kids, you know, and you know the how I would you know come across it then." Which is the first line of bullshit from Hulk Hogan because Hogan was worried about his merchandise and his movie deals that he went to WCW in the first place and how that would affect him any future jobs he would get if he was all of a sudden the bad guy, if he disregarded the red and yellow. The other thing is he saw how big it was, so of course he wanted to be the third guy. Of course he did, yeah. And I believe Sting, you know, Sting has always said, I don't know, people always said I was going to be, you know, the one that was going to be, if Hogan turned it down, that I was going to be, and I never heard that. I think what happened was, Hogan saw how big it was, how much how the, how much heat Hall and Nash were getting, how much attention they were getting, and Hogan said, yeah, I'll do it. So I don't think it ever even got to Sting. Um, because there was never even a, a doubt that Hogan was going to say no because he saw the attention the Hall and Nash were getting. He wanted that too. So I believe Sting, when he said no one ever asked me, no one ever said, you know, you were going to be the one we were going to pick. 
don't think it ever got to sting. What were you going to say? No, no, I was basically the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to get to that, but you, you got there. All yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they went through the um, Hogan being the third man, completely cut out Heenan's commentary. You know, he didn't go in the belt. Oh, whose side is he on? Um, and then we get to, you know, the, the rise of the NWO going crazy. And Hogan admitting uh, he didn't get along with Hall and Nash. Uh, he didn't think they liked him. And he's like, I don't think, he, mostly because he didn't think they liked him. Because, you know, Hall and Nash, they were obviously tight. And Hogan, Hogan was the outsider. And he had to fit in with them. And so when they were doing their first promos, they they butted heads because Hogan said, well, well, you know something. And Nash had to be the one to tell him, no, man, that's not you anymore. You know, you, you got to drop that. And they even show some behind the scenes stuff when they were doing one of their first NWO black and white promos where Hogan had to tone, had to tone it down. He was so used to being Hulk Hogan in his interviews and Nash had to tell him and he had to he had to come down. He had to be the words that Hall used, we had to teach him to be cool. He hadn't been cool in a long time. You know, he had been a, tra- you know, you take your vitamins, say your prayers, guy. Say, you're not that guy now. You're with, you're with us. So it was, he, he, Hogan said it wasn't, it was a bumpy transition to get to, to them because he had to, to reinvent himself. And like literally, even on promos, he couldn't, he, he couldn't be that, that you know, we, I gotta tell you something. Those those promos were the hardest thing for him to do was to not be Hulk Hogan. So, year long build, you know, Sting. They went through Sting and um, and painting his face. It was Scott Hall who told Sting, "You ever see the movie The Crow?" Yes. See, I also knew that too. So I yeah. don't. But this this was the first they're showing it. For the first time. But now here's the thing that got me, Dan. The night Starcade 97. Mm-hmm. Year-long build. Sting versus Hogan. Finally here. It was that night where Hogan when given the finish, that doesn't work for me, brother. And Eric Bischoff said, now, Hogan has always had creative control in in his matches, and he never used it, never went with it until tonight. And the idea was that Nick Patrick was going to give a fast count, and uh, Sting wouldn't kick out because it's going to be a fast count. And then Bret Hart was going to come down, protest, because he didn't want to see another wrestler get screwed. And so he was going to, you know, throw away Nick Patrick, restart the match, sharpshooter, Hogan taps out, new champion, blah, blah, blah. Well, um, Hogan, well, he he didn't say this in the documentary, but it's pretty much common knowledge. Hogan told Nick Patrick not to count fast. So he counted. And then Hogan in the documentary said, well, Sting was supposed to kick out. And he didn't do it. So he's blaming it on Sting. It's like Sting wasn't supposed to kick out. There was supposed to be a fast count. And they completely uh, didn't show Bret Hart coming in at all. And they 
completely knocked him out. Bret Hart wasn't anywhere in this documentary. They didn't talk to him at all. And right after the clip, they showed Sting winning the uh, the world championship with Bret Hart in the ring. Then they cut to another part of the NWO getting bigger. And there's Hogan and Bret Hart sitting side by side, all buddy buddy. Why? And they're both in the NWO. So it was, uh, but then the night of the the title change, uh, Hogan called an audible, and Kevin Nash looked right in the camera and said, "You can't give a wrestler creative control, ever, ever." And Eric Bischoff said, yeah, and after that finish, the fans kind of lost faith, faith in us. And yeah, we, we really dropped the ball there. But yeah. But uh, yeah, Hogan yeah, blamed it on Sting. And he said, "I, you know, if I'm going to get beat, you know, the idea of, of, of doing a job for somebody, you've got to look stronger. You know, if I'm going to get beat, I got to look good. I got to look just as good in defeat, you know, as I would in victory. Which is incredibly short-sighted because Hulk Hogan is not going to lose any heat by by losing to Sting, especially after a year-long build. And he's going to be just as over as he always was. But uh, I don't – but which begs the question that they also completely uh, – a year later when it was Hogan and Goldberg, he had no problem doing the job for Goldberg clean. But with Sting, yeah, he had to, he had to have creative control. Go ahead. Does Hogan know how to tell the truth anymore? No. Um, and they even okay. they even mentioned it on uh on uh Jim Cornette's podcast. I think Hogan will start telling a story and then he'll tell his version, and by the end of the version he's telling, he's already convinced himself that that's the truth. So yeah. He's incapable of it. So in this, he blamed Sting for not kicking out. Um, he thought, you know, he didn't want to lose without looking good. Because if he's going to do a job, the reason why he called the creative control because he didn't like the finish because he, he thought it wouldn't make him look good. And that he didn't want to turn bad guy in the first place because he was worried about the kids. Those are the three biggest um, Hogan lies we got from from this. Um, as usual, Kevin Nash came off as the most genuine. Um, he t- he did tear up a little when he talked about Scott because it was the first time they talked about the NWO without Scott Hall. Oh yeah, so that was kind of tough. Uh, but that was last week. This week's two-hour any biography was on Jake the Snake Roberts. Ah, well, I've already seen the. Uh... The DD, you know, the uh, the dark side of the ring. Yeah, no, not that one. The, oh, um, the beyond the mat. Yeah, or no. The, or the, 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 the resurrection. The, the, of Jake. the resurrection one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, whatever. Well, this <laughs> one, I, I, we heard from Jake's kids. Um. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of an update from Beyond the Mat. Yeah. Yeah. Is new. Is old. And they showed clips from Beyond the Mat. Dan in this. In the um, words of Sylvia Plath, fuck you, Daddy. <laughs> yeah. And the the first hour though was a, a a bit of a deep dive on their on Jake's father, Grizzly Smith. Another rapist? Yeah. Wow. And which which is what they said. Uh pedophile. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and a lot of it was discussed in Dark Side of the Ring, we saw, but we heard from Jake and from Rock and Robin um, about their dad and how they were conceived and how, you know, Jake was only like, his stepmother was only like four years older than him. Um, and uh, how he got into wrestling. They showed a lot of cool stampede clips I didn't see when he was Jake Robertson and um, Big Daddy Ritter. So you got to see Jake the Snake Roberts against Junkyard Dog early, like in 1978 uh, stuff. And how he came up with the DDT. And I got to see uh, stuff I love, old Georgia championship wrestling, him in world class and early versions of the of the DDT and how he came up with it, uh, how he came up with the name. And um, then it going and how he, the, his initial uh, meeting with Vince and how he thought it was such bullshit. Um, how you this is how we want you to, to dress spandex, snakeskin boots, and we're going to give you a snake. And he said, before I could tell him, you know, where to stick that idea, what bullshit it was, he slid a piece of paper across, and I've never seen that many zeros in my life. And <laughs> and I, I made it work. It's a great gimmick. I don't know what his problem was. <laughs> the problem was, Dan, he's deathly afraid of snakes. Oh, okay, that would be a problem. Still is. That's that he has never gone away. He's always been afraid of, of snakes. Um and then he showed his and they talked to the Undertaker, talked to Bret Hart, and Bret was saying how much he envied Jake. He said, I wish I could you know, I wish I could talk like that. And you know, if you have a finish maneuver, it's great. And to come up with a great finish maneuver and have a great name for it was, you know, you know, was was Awesome and and obviously Brett knew Jake from you know his time in in Stampede when he first started, but uh, in the WWF he said yeah he was like on another level because his his interviews were uh, amazing and Undertaker even talked about how the he was like Jake was the one to put me over uh, because their match at, at uh, WrestleMania that was Undertaker's second WrestleMania match, um, but he said yeah man it's that was the first time I ever tombstone someone on the outside and. Yeah. First time someone ever got up from the DDT and um yeah, I said he put me over. And I didn't I forgot that that was Jake's last match in the WWF before he came back. And they completely get this dad didn't show any of his WCW stuff. None. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry. What are you gonna show? Coal yeah. miner's glove. Yeah. It's on coal miner's glove. Yeah. Or they could show him DDTing Sting, which took him out of the world championship. Son of a night, bitch. And giving it to Ron Simmons. They could have showed that. Dare you. Dare you. Watch your mouth. But they that was showing him pissing in a bucket. Yeah. Uh but yeah, uh. yeah, but he all but he pretty much and it showed his uh kids. I didn't know he had eight children. Four from his first marriage. The four I didn't know he, that. He yeah, I didn't know either. That he completely ignored. And these last four that are the youngest that he's given all his attention to. Um, and so, of course, his his most recent kids are saying how much they adore him being present. And his first kids are like, fuck him. Um, yeah, I know everyone thinks he's a great guy now, but I never met that guy. 
And Jake is, of course, he's that I know my kids hate me, but they can't hate me as much as I hate myself because I did the exact same thing that my dad did to me. Uh, so it was a very good um, documentary, and we've seen Jake Roberts' documentary before because he's a fascinating character. And uh, you can't uh, not watch. Um, still screwed up my death pool for many, many years because I had lots of money on him <laughs> dying in in uh, 1999 and 2000. You and everybody else. Yes, that was the safest bet I knew. But uh, yeah, he's still here and um, uh, it still gives a great... And just watching the old stuff, watching the old Jake Roberts promos, even the ones that he did in Georgia and the, the ones he did early on in the and the WWF, it's great stuff. Uh, I skipped the uh, the WWE rivals. You know, they show the the biography first, and they show the rivals. And uh, this past year, this past weekend, uh, Sunday was uh, Mankind versus Undertaker uh, rivalry. So skip that. I think the yeah, one, okay. yeah, the uh, what was the one before that? Last week after the NWO, I think that was. I don't know. I think it might have been Hogan Warrior. I don't know. Who gives a shit? Anyway. Yeah, who gives a shit? Wrestling yeah. historian. Wrestling historian. <laughs> something you do. That, that, that's yes, I how, do. Get, sooner or later, I'll get to something you do care about. Yes, uh, you, uh, wait, was it? <laughs> fuck yourself, Hans. Go fuck yourself. Um, but, gentlemen and ladies... Uh, as I've just been talking about the A&E biography, talking about the past when wrestling was good, because if you've seen those biographies, you'll see wrestlers wrestling in front of sold-out crowds up and down the East Coast, crisscrossing the West Coast, and all points in between. Nothing but sold-out crowds on live television and in house shows, which they had four or five times a week in between televised shows this was the glory days of professional wrestling it wasn't that long ago folks really wasn't but in order to get to the heart of the matter to when really when wrestling was really wrestling and it was appointment television and it wasn't even just on television it was live in front of you every single day in every major arena across the united states didn't matter where it was, world championships meant something. Wrestling meant something. Wrestlers meant something. This, gentlemen and ladies, is a wrestling historian. Uh, we're going to go back to uh, 1978 to a special card, uh, February 19th, 1978, in Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. Um, uh, just the the amount of star power on this one card. You had the AWA heavyweight champion, Nick Bockwinkle, teamed up with his manager, the great Sir Robert of Heenan, Bobby <clears throat> Heenan, to take on the AWA tag team champions, Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel. Gagne and Brunzel, the longest reigning AWA tag team champions of all time, would take on Nick Bockwinkle and his manager. Uh, also, uh, Dusty Rhodes, fresh from the NWA, 
uh, took his feud with Ken Batera to Toronto. So he would take on Dusty Rhodes to take on Ken Batera. And the WWF heavyweight champion, superstar Billy Graham, would go up against Toronto's own folk hero, Edward Carpentier. And all that took place on one card in Toronto. You had the AWA champion, the AWA tag team champions, and the Worldwide Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion on the same card. Uh, they don't make them like they used to, Greg. They do not. And I mentioned superstar Billy Graham on that day because he was going up against Canadian hero Ed Carpentier. Edward Carpentier uh, had a claim to be the NWA champion because he had defeated Lucez in a match that wasn't recognized by the NWA. He also had defeated Buddy Rogers and won Buddy Rogers many times that he lost, but the championship wasn't recognized. The title change wasn't recognized. But superstar Billy Graham took him on and uh, won the bout by countout. Um, and that would turn out to be, as luck would have it, or bad luck would have it, the last title defense in the life, in the heavyweight title career of superstar Billy Graham. Because the very next day, February 20th, 1978, in Madison Square Garden, despite having his foot on the ropes, Superstar Billy Graham would be pinned by Bob Backlund and would lose the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship. Bob Backlund would go on to hold that belt for five years and ten months, just short of six years. And the loss would be the last time Superstar Billy Graham would ever hold a World Heavyweight Championship, despite selling out every single arena he defended the title in. The reign of Superstar Billy Graham lasted 10 months, and he sold out Madison Square Garden in those 10 months 19 times. The only time he didn't when there was a blizzard uh, against Ivan Putski. But Superstar, as world heavyweight champion, uh, not only sold out Madison Square Garden, the Spectrum, Boston Garden, the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland. But every arena where he appeared, St. Louis, Florida, Texas, the Orange Bowl against the NWA champion Harley Race. Business in the WWF did not drop off with the loss of Bruno San Martino. If anything, it stayed the same and in some arenas even increased. Superstar Billy Graham as the first Long-term heel champion in WWF history was doing record business. Unfortunately, unfortunately for him, the man in charge was Vince McMahon Sr., who had already made a handshake deal um, and had agreed to have Bob Backlund as the world champion. That was already settled before superstar Billy Graham was, was champion. The idea was to have Bob Backlund be the heavyweight champion. Vince McMahon, who was enamored with Jack Briscoe, had been good friends with Eddie Graham, bought a house in Florida. And Eddie Graham and Vince McMahon Sr. had a talent swap. Wrestlers would go down to Florida to wrestle, and Florida wrestlers would come up to wrestle in the WWF. 
So the WWF would have wrestlers like Mike Graham, Steve Kern, defend the Florida Tag Team Championship in Madison Square Garden. Dusty Rhodes would wrestle in the Spectrum. And one of the wrestlers from Florida that came up was Bob Backlund. And because Vince McMahon was so enamored with Jack Briscoe, here is this, you know, scientific wrestler, collegiate champion, white meat babyface. So I have sellout crowds everywhere and no riots. <laughs> what Vince McMahon Sr. was experiencing uh, was record business with his world champions, Bruno Sammartino, and after him, Pedro Morales. But the riots were something he could do without. Even though Bruno and Pedro would come out on top, um, they're strong due to their strong ethnic fan bases. Italians didn't like to see Bruno get beat up, and Hispanics didn't like to see Pedro get the uh, the the raw end of the deal. And there would be riots. And Vince McMahon, when he'd see go to Florida, he'd see Jack Briscoe. He'd see a guy wrestling in front of sold-out crowds and not a single riot. And Vince McMahon said, I want... I that's what I need. I need a collegiate white meat baby face, clean cut, all American boy. That's who I'm gonna make champion. After Bruno. We'll get the belt off of Bruno because he needs a rest. And it'll be either be Superstar, Ivan, or Ernie Ladd. And Superstar was the most viable, and Bruno agreed. Get the belt off of him, give it to Superstar, and then you put the belt on back on because I want an all American boy. And that's how I'm going to bill him, the All-American boy. And Eddie Graham said, well, Backlund's good, but what about his tag team partner, Steve Kern? I mean, Steve Kern is a better talker. He looks better. And you want an All-American boy. His father was a prisoner of war twice in Vietnam and in Korea. And that's legit. So you want an All-American boy, Steve Kern's your guy. Vince McMahon says, nah, I like Backlund. And he goes, make your bet. Okay. Vince said, I'll make you a bet. I bet you I can make Backlund. If I can get Backlund over, then I'll, I'll, I'll take that bet. And he said, okay. The bet, $1. <laughs> turned out to be right. Bye, Backlund. Uh, became West Champion five years, had a lot of help. Uh, now he did have some sellouts on his own, but a lot of those sellouts, if you look at the underneath, when Bob Backlund was the main event, but Andre would be on the card, Dusty would be on the card, sometimes Bruno would be on the card. Like I said, Bob got some some sellouts on his own, but those early days, he got some help. Superstar didn't need any help. People came out to see him. Um, but February 20th, 1978, the end of, and now Vince Jr. had been in charge instead of Vince Sr. Yeah. yeah. Superstar would have been champion for at least another year. You could have turned him face. You could have teamed him up with Dusty. You could have had a record run right there. And who knows, it could have been Ernie Ladd or Ivan Koloff that could have ended the uh, the reign of Superstar. But we'll never know. 
Uh, but Superstar was Hulk Hogan before Hulk Hogan. That's who Hulk Hogan emulated, and Jesse Ventura, and Scott Steiner, and Austin Idol, the most influential wrestler of his generation. And like many champions we talk about on this very podcast, Dan, always be, be remembered as a champion, but only held it once. And yep. that came to an end February 20th, 1978. On that same date, February 20th, 1989, someone else became champion for the first time, and only once. But a memorable champion that he was, and a memorable match that took place February 20th, February 20th, 1989, in Chicago, the main event of Chi-Town Heat. Ric Flair would lose the NWA Heavyweight Championship to his longtime rival, and a few that stretches back 12 years at this point. Started in 1977, but in 1989, the dragon realized his dream and finally defeated the man, Ric Flair, to win his first and only World Heavyweight Championship, February 20th, 1989. Unreal. Only the first? That was his first world championship, and only. Huh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think he had more than one? It just didn't occur to me it was that late uh, late in his career. Yeah. Late, you know, but relatively late. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, (laughs) and if you're you're a Steamboat and Flair fan, this is 12 years after their feud started. I mean... Steamboat won his first championship ever, uh, the Mid-Atlantic Television title, when he beat Ric Flair in uh, July of 1977. And their feud went through 78, um, and there were hour-long matches that go from 78 to to 1980. Jeez. And some of their best matches weren't even on television. And the ones you get on YouTube, the footage is so grainy. You know, the, the Steamboat Flair matches that they did up and down the Mid-Atlantic area uh, were like uh, Will Chamberlain or Babe Ruth, unless you were there to see the greatness in, in person. You, you know, there's no record of it. Nope. But I mean, and Flair's talk about it in his book, and Steamboat has uh, 57 straight one-hour draws. They had 34 matches in one month. Mm-hmm. You know, they would it's do twice on Sunday. Thing, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Again, this is 70, this is 78, 79. And the, it, it was Raleigh, North Carolina, Charlotte, Richmond, Virginia, Toronto, St. Louis. These kids today and their, yeah. their complaints on Twitter. <laughs> so now you know the, the acting that Ric Flair did in the Royal, in 1992 Royal Rumble. Because uh, like, he, he went an hour and acting like he was exhausted. He had been going hour-long matches yeah. way before he got to the WWE. did not give a shit. Yes. Except for that fucking cigarette. Yes. I Yeah, <laughs> yeah Lance Russell, put that out. It's very funny. Very funny. Um, uh, Lance. And speaking of first-time uh, champions, uh, February 22nd, uh, 1984. Uh, Nick Bockwinkle 
would lose the AWA Heavyweight Championship. Um, it would be the first time he'd, lo- he'd lost it in the ring. Uh, Nick Bockwinkel had been awarded the AWA Championship twice before when Vern Gagne retired and after uh, uh, um, the suspension of, um, of well, when Vern retired and uh, one other time when it was held up and when Hulk Hogan had beaten Nick Bockwinkel a couple of times and wasn't given the belt, it was awarded right back to uh, Nick Bockwinkel. But Nick would actually lose this one in the ring and it would be the first time the AWA title ever changed hands outside the United States. In Tokyo, Japan, Nick Bakunka would lose the AWA Heavyweight Championship to Jumbo Saruta in a match refereed by Terry Funk. And uh, Jumbo Saruta will be the first Japanese man, Japanese wrestler to ever hold the AWA Heavyweight Championship. Um, he'd only be the second Japanese wrestler to ever hold a world championship of any kind, Giant Baba being the first, uh, but Jumbo Saruta would be the second Japanese wrestler to ever hold a, an American world championship. Wow. Yeah, but it happened in uh, February 1984 in Japan. And to show you how numbers, how different numbers oh, here we are. Go. <laughs> they, February favorite part. February 23rd, 1990. Uh, And uh, one of the final Saturday night's main events uh, took place. um, Hulk Hogan uh, went up against Randy Savage with the special guest referee. Now, this was a last-minute switch because the referee for this bout had already been determined to be the world heavyweight boxing champion. Uh, this is February 23rd, 1990. On, on February 10th, 1990, the world heavyweight boxing championship changed hands. So the special referee for the bout between Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage would be Buster Douglas. <laughs> awesome. And that bout, uh, or that main event, did a 12.8 share. <laughs> uh, hey, AEW made a million, though. Mm-hmm. He did indeed. Uh, speaking of the NWA title, uh, February 24th, 1995, uh, UFC star Dan Severn would defeat Chris Candido and of all places, Erlanger, Kentucky become the NWA heavyweight champion. And he would hold the NWA belt for another four years of all places. That's a wrestling Mecca. Yeah, it, it is not. now because Dan Severn became well, the yeah, NWA no. champion there, but three time and- guest on HIAC talk radio. Yes. The one and only beast, the first beast, the first Dan guest. Severn. Uh, but he would hold the NWA title for four years. That would be the longest anyone has held the NWA title in 60 years. Jeez. Uh, a record that still hasn't been broken uh, <sighs> for anyone holding the NWA title uh, for like that long. doesn't have the balls. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, William Patrick. Yes, William Patrick. Uh, February 25th, um, 
with happy belated 75th birthday to the man himself, Ric Flair. Well, uh, whatever. And <laughs> uh, was it today? Where was it? Yesterday. Uh, to show you the star power that happened in the in the 70s when wrestling promoters just had a handshake deal. The idea was to give the wrestling fans the best wrestlers they could. And because there was no cable TV, no internet, no wrestling dirt sheets, no magazines uh, of any regularity, uh, fans had to, when they heard about these wrestlers from other organizations, other territories, they had never seen them. So one of their handshake deals took place um, on this day, February 26. So both fans in Madison Square Garden and Boston Garden got a treat at the same time. Both of these cards took place on the same day. Um, but in February 26, 1973, in Madison Square Garden, you had Terry Funk up from the NWA. Uh, defeated Chuck Richards. Uh, Eddie's grandson, Mike Graham, coming up from Florida, defeated the Continental Nobleman, Joe Turco. Mm-hmm. Uh, Victor Rivera would defeat Dory Funk Sr. in that square garden. Uh, the WWF heavyweight champion, Pedro Morales, would defeat King Curtis, and it will eventually be known as the Wizard. And the AWA heavyweight champion, would defeat Eddie Graham in an AWA title defense in Madison Square Garden. Now, Eddie Graham was a last-minute substitute. Uh, he was just there um, to accompany his son, Mike, but ended up wrestling because the person who was supposed to couldn't make it. Uh, the original opponent was going to be AWA heavyweight champion Vern Gagne going up against Ray Stevens. Oh. Yeah. But, yeah, so the AWA champion and the WWF champion were on the same card in Madison Square Garden. In the Boston Garden, though, on that same night, you had an epic six-man tag team match between Sonny King, Chief J. Strongbow, and Gorilla Monsoon going against the team of Professor Tanaka and Mr. Fuji and their partner, Chuck O'Connor, who you now know as Big John Studd. Wow. On that same card, Jack Briscoe from the the NWA um, would go up against Bobby Shane, beautiful Bobby Shane, the man who would give the crown to Jerry Lawler. And also in the main event, Bruno Sammartino would defeat Moondog Maine. (laughs) That was all on the same day. You had stars from the AWA, the NWA, and WWF on the same card, intermixing talent. And finally, on this date, 70 years ago, was born a man who may be the greatest working babyface of all time. To me, he is Mr. Perfect. Happy 70th birthday. To the best wrestler, my generation, um, prototype babyface, Mr. Ricky Steamboat. 
I mean, <laughs> debate that he isn't Mr. Perfect. Yeah, to, and I know disrespect to and all, not all, at all. respect to Kurt Henning. I yeah, that's Ricky's, how good R- Ricky was. That's how good Ricky was. It's no disrespect to Kurt. I I call Ricky Steamboat the perfect wrestler because the guy could do everything in the ring. Yeah. Picture perfect drop kicks, greatest flying body press, the world's greatest arm drag. That to this day wrestlers still try to to copy, and they um, cannot. They cannot. Men loved him. That happened. Women loved him. Kids loved him. All that wrestling ability, all stuck into a body that was drawn by Marvel Comics. The guy. <laughs> Just had no fat on him at all. He looked just like amazing. Yes, he looked amazing. Again, not a a wasted moment in the ring. Could sell his ass off to make anyone look like a million bucks. The two best wrestling matches that people say in the last twenty five years: Ric Flair and Steamboat at Chi Town Heat that I just mentioned, or their match at Clash of Champions in the Superdome. The other, Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania three, the common denominator, Ricky Steamboat. Ricky Steamboat, and also uh, honorable mention to Ricky Steamboat versus Stunning Steve Austin at Pass of the Beach. Yes, ninety four, which in my opinion steals the show. Yes, but derpity derp, Hulkster derpity derp. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean to have. Everyone from Randy Savage to Ric Flair to Steve Austin say that the best match they ever had was against Ricky Steamboat. They have Bret Hart say, you want to learn how to wrestle? Watch Ricky Steamboat wrestle. And even their match at Boston Garden when Bret Hart was one half of the Hart Foundation and he wrestled Ricky Steamboat. And YouTube that, folks. Bret Hart say that was the best match he he ever had and made Bret Hart look like a million bucks. Um, incapable of having a bad match, incapable of looking bad in the ring against anybody. Um, he to he is my Mr. Perfect. Again, with all due respect to Kurt Henning, uh, I don't know a guy that worked better, looked better, uh, or wrestled better than uh, Ricky Steamboat. So happy, and he was in the the Jake Roberts. Uh, a biography too. Uh, unfortunately, he was talking about the DDT he took on the cement floor mm. that uh, legitimately knocked him out. But um, that's the guy that needs an A and E biography. I've seen Jake Roberts enough times. I've seen the NWO. They're going to do Dusty again. They're going to do China again. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat needs an A and E biography. He needs some type of uh. Because I've seen the Cactus Jacks and the Undertakers over and over again, but that man deserves a tribute because I don't know any single wrestler that was as good as him for as long as him. And again, we're talking about the greatest wrestlers that have always been babyface. Uh, him and Bruno are my the only ones that I can think of uh, that fans could not, would not boo. Well, except when he was the family man. That was just really bad booking. 
And we're not going to talk about that. Don't no, we're not going to talk about the worst <laughs> entrance song in the history of professional wrestling. That's the only bad thing I could say about Ricky Steamboat. His entrance music, The Family Man, horrible. It's like, you want to boo this man? Coming to the ring with his wife and child. Yeah, I'm the baby face. And meanwhile, my opponent's coming to the ring with escorts and models and talking about riding Space Mountain, wearing mink coats. And I'm supposed to boo that guy? That's the guy I think is cool. And nothing wrong with marriage and children, but I'm not bringing my wife and kid to, you know, to work with me. But I digest. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy 70th birthday to the great Ricky Steamboat. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is a wrestling historian. And you can follow me on Twitter at DanLine83. I thought you were going to take it, brother. I already did it. I'll do it again. Uh, and oh, can- yeah, yeah. My bad. On Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Greg Lagan, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Wake up, Dan. It's your turn. I am going on no sleep. No, for- don't, don't, don't forgive me. Don't, re- don't, never mind. DanLine83, <laughs> keep it on the paper. Good night, everyone. <laughs>